This podcast is offered by Black Mountain Zen on the web at blackmountainzen.org. All public offerings are made possible by the kind donations from people like you. Good morning. Somehow I was thinking about, well, what's it like, you know, a whole bunch of people came yesterday and last night. And I was thinking, well, what's it like to come into this environment, especially if it's your first time doing it? Uh, and, and what I would say to you is, well, isn't everything in life a little bit weird? <laughs> This is just another variety of it. I was thinking, well, how would the Buddha describe practice if he'd grown up in Moy? And here's the version I came up with. He'd say something like this. Just wait a wee minute. Hold your horses. Wind your neck back in and catch yourself on. <laughs> but since I uh, learned Buddhism in the refined world of the West Coast of the United States, I would say pause, notice, acknowledge experience. But maybe the Moy translation's better. Um, you know, when we first come, it's a little bit like mindfulness or being aware of what's going on. It's a little bit like um, trying to read a book and jump up and down at the same time. You know, you can sort of do it, and it's sort of impossible. Yeah. Or it's much more challenging and demanding to read the book while you're jumping. And so when we're coming into the territory of awareness, um, Usually before you can catch yourself on, you need to hold your horses. And then when you hold your horses, you see that winding your neck back in, well, it's not necessary, it's helpful. Because if your thoughts are just racing away with all the declarations and demands, of your own psychology. Yeah. It's like you're too busy. Yeah. Um, and a 
it's helpful just to uh, lower your ambitions. Maybe just start by noticing uh, you're jumping up and down. And then notice you're holding a book. And then notice what galloping horses of thoughts and feelings and memories and to-dos are racing through you. And usually when we start to do that, um, we start to notice where we are. We hear the children's voices. We start to notice some of the details of what's galloping through us. While we're still in the throes of asserting our own version of reality. We're still in the throes of, okay, well, I came here with a job to do, and I'm going to do it. Um, and it's a peculiar process, because That's what's stirring our motivation, our dedication, our intention. And at the same time, if we're consumed by the world according to me and all that that entails and brings forth, if we're consumed by it, it's harder to see what's in front of our nose. You know, it's harder to see um, all the assumptions that go into the drive that we're bringing to it. And in the Zen style, It's always like to take the backward step. Start to just, okay, well, what is being experienced and how is it being experienced? And what is it to let it be itself? What is it to not have a whole bunch uh, to impose upon it? a whole bunch of assumptions, judgments, conclusions, ambitions, avoidance patterns. And so for the past couple of days, I have probably in some obscure way been talking about 
the opening line from the Heart Sutra, uh, a Buddhist text that's uh, maybe one of the most recited texts in Buddhism. Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva, when practicing deeply, Prajnaparamita perceived that all five skandhas in their own being are empty. And uh, each word in that sentence is its own, needs to be unpacked <laughs> to create the Buddhist perspective. And yet, all of that's not necessary because it's just talking about the human experience. That every one of us is in the middle of. And so why not read a few poems about that? Why not think of the narrative that's going through you as your own one extraordinary, ambitious, long poem? And of course, if the details of your life were just whimsical, um, that would be uh, just lovely. But the details of our life, well, we might think of them as our best effort at living our life. They have embedded in them all sorts of uh, memories, all sorts of patterned ways of thinking and feeling and meaning-making. They have within them all sorts of um, psychological relevance for us. And yet in the midst of that mindfulness and the, and the Zen way, it says, just contact whatever it is that rises to the surface. No. However, wherever, how, whenever, you can just meet the moment, meet the moment. And something, some information comes from that. Yeah. And the helpful thing about that notion is, um, well, if that's the agenda, if that's the proposition, what helps me to do that? You know, you know yesterday I, I quoted a phrase that I'd read somewhere, and it said, the blessings come from outside our comfort zone. You know? To my mind, saying that the way in which 
we get in our comfort zone and in that comfort, in that familiar, acceptable way of being, uh, we're not so inclined to ask, what's going on? What's this about? We're more inclined to just let it be what it is, because it's comfortable. Uh, And then when something takes us out of our comfort zone, then it can spark our awareness. And yet, the comfort zone is what helps to stabilize us. The comfort zone is what helps the, the drive, the urgency of our galloping horses uh, to slow down enough that we can see what they're galloping through. So to watch, you know, in your diligence, don't push yourself so hard that you're in a state of distress. And then on the other side, don't, um, don't keep trying to manipulate the circumstances so that you stay in the safety of your comfort zone. Can those two balance each other out and you find the middle way? No. Like one way is our habit energies, you know. Oh, I always do this before I go to bed, before I meditate, before whatever. Um, What if you don't do that, that you always do? Hmm. And I would suggest to you, some of those habits um, Even if they're not so, they might seem to the observer trivial, to you, you might be surprised how determined they are. But to come at it with the mode of exploration, don't, don't turn it into something evil that has to be overcome by good. It's an exploration. <coughs> Even though our past has offered us the determination and motivation to be here, can something loosen up, soften up, that this becomes more of a curiosity. 
Like if this is your first experience of Zen ritual, can you just watch? You know, what, what, what comes up for you? Are you a little frightened? Thinking, oh my God, what is this? Is this some kind of cult? Or do you go the other way? You feel like, oh, this is some uh, profound spirituality that I should revere, even though I don't have a clue what it's about. <laughs> In a way, what you're watching is your own, uh, the extension of your own assumptions or patterned existence. So in that sentence where it says, Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva, when practicing deeply Prajnaparamita, perceives the five skandhas in their own being. You know, each moment is an illustration of itself. Usually what we do is we conclude a reality that this moment is describing. We conclude a self that this moment is describing. But actually, it's just itself. It's just the associated thoughts and judgments and opinions you have around Zen ritual. And the funny thing about Zen, maybe funny in a peculiar way, the funny thing about Zen is that the tradition is to do everything like it's really important. Like when the Jisha hands me my papers. Like, do it like it's really important. Or as they say in tea ceremony, hold light things like they're very heavy and hold heavy things like they're light. So the Jisha hands this solemn, important, heavy thing to me, and I take it, put it down. It's just a, a way of being present. It's just a way of tweaking our habitual way of doing things. Maybe if we'd grown up in Tang Dynasty China, it would all seem very uh, common. Yeah. I conjured up that notion of Shakyamuni Buddha coming from Moi. Um, Because I think the absurdity of it, or the unlikeliness of it, maybe it did come from why, what do I know? <laughs> but the unusualness of it, the uncertainty of it, um, 
it sort of tweaks our reality, you know. Like right in our local vernacular, the beautiful phrase, catch yourself on. Hold your horses. What is it to pause? Hmm? And then to delve a little bit into um, the five skandhas. So that all that as a preamble to say, this is the territory of prajnaparamita. That rather than saying some wise thing like reality is this. It's saying reality is malleable. Reality arises between the circumstances and the consciousness of the person. It's a co-creation. And each of us is living the consequence of all the moments and experiences that have contributed to the assumed version of reality we're living in. And to draw any definite, absolute conclusions about it is to miss that it's fluid to miss that it's always changing, that it's always subject to different causes and conditions. That's why just sitting down with nothing to do except be present is so amazingly challenging. To just let it be itself and let it unfold and unfold and unfold. Uh, In Buddhist terms, the five skandhas, the five attributes of being that come together moment after moment. First, Something's apprehended, you know, a sound, a sight, a smell, a taste, a touch, an emotion, a thought, a memory, an image. And then there is kind of like an initial connection. And then that initial connection, you know, in Buddhist terms, it says that initial connection has, it's either pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, but mostly pleasant or unpleasant. And it stimulates a response. And that stimulated response then draws in 
some details of your own conditioned existence. Maybe it's a strong emotion. Maybe it's um, a concept. Maybe it's um, a conclusion or judgment. And the moment is made. And because it's an interactive process, in that moment there is uh, consciousness. But when we're jumping up and down and trying to contact that, um, we're getting like a fleeting point of connection, you know? Like when you're reading the book, jumping up and down, you read a few words, the page moves, maybe you jump to another another sentence or... So, in that activity, we also attend to, in, in looking at that, in looking at conditioned existence, we also attend to the disposition that's um, the reverberation that our life is having in that moment. We're attending to that reverberation with a sense of um, almost like feeling its its visceral response to being alive. Sometimes that's a mysterious process. Sometimes that's a scary process. Sometimes that's an exhilarating process. And then for good measure, sometimes it's a mix, you know. It's both scary, somewhat painful, and exhilarating. I read a poem that used the image of the branch of a tree being immensity tapping on the window. You know, the immensity of this existence that we're part of. And it says, will you stay within the clutter of the soup pots and books while the immensity of existence is tapping on the window. And we watch the voice within us that says, yes, 
I'll stay within the pots and the books. That's my comfort zone. That's what I'm familiar with. I love those pots and those books. Sometimes. Uh, I think if we loved them, we probably wouldn't be here. We have some sense that that immensity of being offers us something. But Avalokitesvara is the embodiment of compassion. The imagery of that sentence is the embodiment of compassion looks deeply into the nature of what is. Every one of us has our wounds, has our difficulties, our pains, our regrets, our yearnings. They brought us here. They're not some great, in Buddhist terms, they're not some great affliction that has been presented to you as punishment for your past sins. They're just the way the world works. Just before I came down, I was looking out the window, and there was a bunch of crows over there. And I thought, well, what are they doing? And it looked like they were just circling around, catching a thermal, an air up, updraft, just enjoying themselves. I assume catching an air thermal and drifting up is enjoyable. Glimpses of greater being. You know. I quoted Steven Spielberg's advice to his two sons. He said, the lessons of life, of life are not shouted, they're whispered. Listen carefully. Yeah. So as you start to notice, as you start to catch yourself on and hold your horses and wind your neck back in, uh, what becomes evident? You know? What stray, peculiar emotions arise? You know? How is it when you start to feel some part of your body? Does it spark a little sadness? regret? Does it open and allow joy? 
maybe it'll be powerful, or maybe it'll be a whisper. So the five skandhas are always in an interplay. And um, somehow always offering us a moment. And then one of the overarching investigations is at a retreat is what is it to stay present? What's that disposition of mind and attention? What is it to not just resume my usual way of doing things? Okay, here's my plan. Here's my goal, and here's how I'm going to make it happen. What is it to be a constant process of discovery? In Buddhist terms, the word the word is uh, sila, or in Sanskrit, shila. You know, the discipline, the behavior that supports awareness. To watch yourself. Where do I space out? Where do I um, sort of shift back into the world according to me, take it as an absolute truth, and then struggle with it? What is it to not get lost in that way? You know? Just close attention. Not to fill your mind with judgment, you know. With this amazing opportunity to, to see how your life is put together moment after moment. What depletes your energy? What nourishes your energy? All five skandhas in their own being are empty. And then it says, and thus relieves all suffering. Don't we wish, you know, don't we wish there was some magic formula when you just get it right, it's like the lock clicks open and the door of freedom swings open.
And in one way, it does. In a, in a moment of presence, when you just allow it to be itself, when you don't impose upon it some demands as to what it should be instead of what it is, uh, there it is. It's just itself. There's nothing needed to allow it to be complete. And we have those moments, you know? We have those moments, and then we rush in and um, bring back in our habit energy that says, wait a minute, too much, too little, not what I wanted, doesn't resolve my fears and anxieties. So in our pause, can we quite literally offer ourselves a moment of just being what is? It doesn't have to be uh, some extraordinary ecstatic revelation. Any moment you can just Offer that to yourself, you know? Whatever it is, the moment the bell rings to end a period of meditation, ah, you know? The moment you're walking down the hall and you catch yourself thinking about a particular topic. And you notice the state of mind with which you're thinking about it. And you notice the kind of emotional disposition. You You notice the character of that moment. And I should email that person and say such and such. And does that bring up satisfaction, conviction, um, some rebuttal? Just to notice the play of the moment. No. And when all that becomes dense again, it coagulates back into a fixed absolute reality, um, can you remind yourself of compassion? If, if it takes the shape of, you know, pain for you, 
if it takes the shape of suffering and stress, can you remind yourself, okay, just notice what that pain and suffering does to your being. And if it feels like it's too much, emphasize compassion. You know? May I be free from harm. May I be well. May I be at peace. You know? Sometimes in Buddhism, uh, awareness is described as the uh, the skillful doctor, you know, ministering the appropriate medicine to each state of being. And if you feel like you need to talk to someone right away, at the end of the period, you can contact Andre or, or Jean, and they will uh, help you get the support you need. But as best you can, try to stay in the flow of what we're doing. Because there's something about doing it together that gives us all the support. And then also you can you, you can deliberately enter moments of nourishment. No sitting out in the sun. The other day we took a walk in the garden, a a meditation walk in the garden, and I felt the warm sun on my back. And in that moment I thought, well, let's just do this all day. (laughs) (laughs) Who needs to go back in there? Just that warmth felt so uh, nourishing. So lovely to see the garden all dug up, being taken care of. perspective of prajnaparamita, the profound wisdom of being, each moment is an offering, each moment's a teaching. What's the appropriate response? You know. And we learn to be such a person. We learn to be a person who responds appropriately rather than from some rigid, fixed way of being. We 
taking the appropriateness of some other time and place and imposing it upon now. So part of the challenge and the gift of Zen practice is this kind of adaptability, this kind of ingenuity that appropriateness asks of us. What is it when you get up off your cushion and plunge out into the morning brisk air? What is it to enter that world and not cling to some other world? And then what is it to see whatever emotion or thought follows you into that world. And sometimes it all happens by chance. So, Seamus Heaney wrote this poem. Had I not been awake, had I not been awake, I would have missed it. A wind that rose and whirled until the roof pattered with quick leaves off the sycamore and got me up a hole of me a patter alive and ticking like an electric fence had I not been awake I would have missed it it came and went so unexpectedly and almost it seemed dangerously returning like an animal to the house a courier blast from there and then lapsed ordinary but not ever after, and not now. Okay. Thank you. <laughs>